Good morning. Happy Easter. My name is Pastor Ransom Kent. I'm so thankful that you all have joined us uh, for our streaming service here on Easter morning with Grace Presbyterian Church. Uh, This morning, I'll be studying a book of the Bible uh, called 1 Corinthians. I'll be in chapter 15. I'll be throughout the chapter. I'm going to be reading this morning uh, a representative passage, verses 12 through 20, to get us started. Then I'll pray and we'll jump right in to the sermon. Again, I'll be starting in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 15. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Dear God, on this Easter celebration morning that is very strange, that is unusual, I pray that you would allow us uh, to have prepared hearts and open ears to receive the word of God that is going out over the internet, through video and sound, I pray that we would hear what you have us to hear this morning, myself included. Help us to be affected and changed by the the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Again, we thank you for all that you do for us. We, We love you. Thank you so much for Easter. We pray these things in the name of the one who is risen, risen indeed, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, So today, uh, we uh, received this sermon, we worship together with a mixture of emotions, let's be honest. Um, We're in the middle of a a pandemic, Um, and so uh, in in that sense, uh, there is a blanket of sadness and loneliness, Uh, we miss things, but as Christians, uh, we celebrate as well. We we celebrate as Christians, we mourn as humans, and I, I think... The question we might have is, can we do both? And I, I really want to pose the answer to that question as I think we have a responsibility to do both. <laughs> we have a responsibility to mourn in this time and to celebrate. I, uh, why should we mourn? Listen, we have experienced uh, a, a great loss of human life over the last few weeks. Uh, there have been times in history where we've lost more, but that's not reason to not mourn. We should certainly mourn death, the loss of human life to this virus. Uh, We should mourn, we should mourn these strange times we have to endure. We should mourn the fact that we miss our friends, we miss our family, we miss normal life, we miss our schedules, we we miss the patterns of our life. Listen, it's not wrong to emote. It's healthy to feel things and to to recognize how you feel. And so uh, in this time, I think we have a responsibility to, to express those emotions and to mourn, mourn those losses. Uh, the fact that we are in this strange time of mourning is one of the reasons I chose 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 is a 
actual, a co- actually a common funeral passage. Uh, we use it uh, to preach at funerals often, and so because we are in mourning, in some sense I've gone to this chapter, but uh, we are in mourning. I think as I've gone over that, maybe you're resonating with some of those things more than others, but then the question might come up, well, how can we possibly celebrate with all those negative things taking place? And the answer that I have for that is Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. That is, that is a, a, an event worth celebrating. Now, we shouldn't sugarcoat the negative feelings. We shouldn't say, oh, God's good <laughs> as we are broken inside. No, uh, we should uh, express those feelings of sadness, but also express those feelings of joy over the fact that the one who can heal us, the one who can save us, he is risen from the dead. And so in this environment of genuine sadness, this environment of mourning, Paul gets to the point in this passage that the resurrection of Jesus in this moment of history, throughout history, the resurrection of Jesus, that historical event, gives history meaning. So either Christ was risen and we have hope now and forever, or Christ was not risen, has, was not brought back from the dead, and as he says in verse 32 of the same chapter, then we ought to eat and drink for tomorrow we die. There's no hope. Let's go down in flames. And so what Easter stands for not only changes our outlook on life now, uh, the facts of the matter of Easter change the purpose of time and space. That's, that's how profound it is. That's how important it is. So this morning, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is part of the Bible. And I recognize that at Easter time, sometimes there are folks uh, joining us that, that has, it's been a while since you've cracked this book or maybe you've never uh, opened the Bible. So let me uh, back up a little bit. The Bible is one big book that includes several little books. So in a sense, you could call it an anthology or a collection. Uh, the, the books that are included in Scripture, uh, the list has been set by our church fathers many, many hundreds of years ago, and that list has not changed. Uh, the, the, the books that are included were written over a 1,500-year uh, time period by 40 different authors in three different languages. It's a pretty incredible uh, historical document from that point of view. And so this morning we go to a book uh, in the New Testament. It's split into two, the Old and New Testament. Uh, we, we find ourselves in a book in the New Testament called 1 Corinthians. Not 1 Corinthians. Let's make sure we're clear on that. Not 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. It is the first of two personal letters that a man named Paul, who's a significant figure in the New Testament, uh, wrote to the church in the city of Corinth, an ancient city. And so uh, the question might uh, come to your mind now, well, what does this have to do with me, an ancient letter written to some folks in Corinth? Well, uh, Corinth then is very similar to uh, the culture, the Western culture we live in now. Uh, There's a lot of similarities, a lot of attributes that we shared with them. Uh, One in particular was that a major philosophical ideology of the world or the culture there was that miracles, for instance, resurrection of the body supernaturally, did not, could not happen. That's something that they held to in the Corinthian world, in the Greek and Roman world, uh, under that particular philosophy. And so, like our culture, our culture shares that same ideology. There's a sense in which science rules and supernatural thinking I would like to say drools, but it's, it's not uh, uh, the, the valid way of thinking. We have to think scientifically. And so since we think scientifically, we, we, there can be no miracle. There can be no resurrection. And so 
Uh, like then, the denial of the resurrection, we have that now, and like then, even now, this prevalent kind of worldly idea had slipped into the church. And so Paul is addressing that. Look at verses 1 and 2. He says, Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved. He's reminding them of something. Why is he having to remind them of this thing we'll talk about in a moment? He's reminding them of this because of verse 12. He says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection? And so in the church even, there were those who were saying, listen, we follow Jesus, we do all these churchy things, but the resurrection didn't happen. This is the very issue that Paul is addressing in this chapter, in this passage. There's ramifications to the idea, to the fact that uh, if, if the resurrection has not happened, there are consequences to that. And so he begins in verses 1 through 8, and I just read verses 1 and 2, where he, uh, he says, listen, we have to remember the gospel, the gospel. To, to lay out some footwork here, some groundwork, uh, Christianity teaches that uh, to be saved, you must believe in the truth of who Jesus is. So the scriptures, the Bible, sets forth a, a truth, a guideline for who Jesus is. And if you uh, approach God in that faith, you believe that those things are true, you simply believe that is a faith that saves you. So we are saved by faith, not by works. And, and Paul in verses 1 and 2 is recalling the Corinthians to that idea. He says, now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. The gospel is the phrase, the, the term we use to summarize all those truths about Jesus Christ. It, the word literally means the good news. And so uh, as we come to Jesus, as we see him for who he is, as presented in the gospel, if we put our faith in the gospel, we are saved. He then goes into uh, verse 3 uh, and 4, where he, he kind of lays out the, uh, the, the details, if you will, of this gospel. And so the good news, first of all, surrounds a historical figure named Jesus. Jesus. It's not presented in this passage, but it's a given. It's presented other places in 1 Corinthians and in Scripture. But we have to understand that Jesus, this, this historical figure in Scripture, is not presented as a good teacher or a political person that existed, or even a, a hobo that just had good things to say. No, Jesus is presented in Scripture as God the Son. God the Son, part of the Trinity. Now, we don't have time to unpack that here. I will say that if that uh, uh, is uh, uh, something you'd like to know more about, in two weeks we're starting a series, a three-week series on the Trinity, so you can learn more about it there. But I'm going to drop that little informational bomb on you and back away from it. That's just something we have to accept to, to get to where Paul's getting. Jesus is God the Son. And so, where did Jesus come from? He came from eternity. He came from glory. He was worshipped as God with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. They were one. And so for eternity, that's where he had been receiving glory and honor. And what did he do? He, he left that place. He left heaven. He left his companionship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit to come to earth to become a man. That's Christmas. He became a man. He condescended, we might say. And what's important to understand is that he didn't just come to check it out, see what it's like. He came for a specific purpose. And that's where we get to the beginning of verse 3. So what happened? I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. He's saying, here's the message of the gospel. First, that Christ died for our sins. 
Christ died for our sins. There are several implications in those five words. Let me run them through to you. First of all, Christ died for our sins. An implication here is that you and me, we are sinners. We're sinners. You see, God has set a standard. God set a law. It started with Adam and Eve. And every human being, except for Jesus Christ, from the beginning of time to the end of time, has violated that law. We are rebels. We are enemies of God in our natural state. We are sinners. We're sinners. That's a given in this statement. It's implied. The other thing that is implied, because of our sin, we deserve punishment. God is just. If we had a justice system in America that allowed people to commit crimes with no punishment, we would cry foul. We expect justice. And so God being the lawgiver and the law keeper, the law creator, when his subjects violate his law, there is a price to be paid. There's punishment. And so, there's some really bad news that's implied here. The fact is that uh, because we are sinners, because we have that debt with God, because we cannot, uh, we have a punishment that we have to pay, we cannot save ourselves. We cannot do anything that digs us out of the hole that we have dug for ourselves through our sin. And so, uh, those are some implications about us. It also implies that, that Jesus Christ, His death wasn't on accident. You see, our sin brings punishment and debt. We just talked about that. And so God, because He is just, must punish wrongdoing. So we see where this is going. It's bad news. We deserve punishment and God must punish wrongdoers. But God, at the same time, loves His people. He created humankind to be with Him. And sin has separated us from that. And so, Christ's death wasn't just a, an accident. He didn't say the wrong things to the wrong people. He didn't exist at the wrong time and things went awry. No, His death had a purpose. And that purpose was to provide an escape for our sin. Jesus had to provide an escape for our sin. And so we learn again, from implications of this phrase, that Jesus' death on the cross, His death on the cross, is the answer to that predicament. We are sinners. God is just. He wants to be with us. How do we make this work? Jesus Christ dying on the cross in our place is the answer. So Jesus died not to be a model of martyrdom, not for political reasons, not because the religious leaders didn't like what He had to say. No, He died to face God's wrath, the punishment that God had set up for those who sinned, and that, he, that we had earned for ourselves. So, ransom deserved the punishment that Jesus faced. You deserve the punishment that Jesus faced, and yet, He stood in our place on purpose to take that wrath upon Himself. That is what He means here by Christ died for our sins. In a very theological way, yes, He stood in your place. He took your punishment. Your sins were put on Him as if they were His sins when they weren't. But also in a very literal way, Christ died. It was my fault that He died. It was your fault that He died. But that's not the end of the story. Christ died for our sins. That is good news. But in verse 4, what else? He was buried. This is part of the gospel. Jesus died, he was buried, and then what? He was raised on the third day. He's raised on the third day. So like the best infomercial of all time. Christ died for your sins, but that's not all. He was buried and he also 
was raised. Death was defeated. Later in this chapter, probably the most famous set of verses from this chapter, he says this, verses 54 and 55. Death was swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? You see, the, the death of Jesus, he, he, was, he submitted to that reality of all humankind. We all die. Jesus died too. But in victory, he rose up. Death could not keep him down. Death could not hold him down. He beat death. He has victory over death. And in, in that verse, in, in this chapter later, Paul is taunting death. This is why this is a great funeral verse for the saints. Because although our body has died, death has no sting. Why? Because Jesus' resurrection. Because Jesus stood in our place and he was victorious after doing so. At the end of verse 3 and the end of verse 4, it says, in accordance with the Scriptures. Paul is basically saying, listen, you can read the Old Testament. This is predicted there. If you want a little research project, you can go to Isaiah 53. There's a passage there. It goes on, I think, through Isaiah 57, something like that. But it's called the suffering servant. You can read for yourself where this very thing is written by the prophet Isaiah about what would happen to Jesus Christ. Paul doesn't just leave them with this truth, right? He's saying, listen, I, I told you already, here's the gospel. Jesus died. Jesus was buried. He was raised again. But understanding that there's this denial of the resurrection, Paul meets the Corinthians where they're at. He meets us where we are at. And he comes with evidence. For physically minded people, he comes with a, a list of witnesses. Okay? And so he's, he's saying here, listen, this is not just a mythological fairy tale event. I want to show you how we know that the resurrection of Jesus Christ happened in history. So we go to verses 5 through 8. He says first, and then in that he appeared to Cephas. Cephas is the name of Peter, one of the closest confidants of Jesus Christ on this earth. He's one of the men that betrayed Jesus before he was crucified. Somebody said, hey, you're with that Jesus character, aren't you? And he said, no, I don't even know him. He did that three times, denied Christ three times, and yet after Christ was crucified and he rose again, Jesus appeared again to Peter. What I want to do is I'm going to go through this list, and especially for Peter and the twelve and James, I want to let you know how their lives ended. It'll tie in later, so bear with me here. Peter, uh, again, witnessed the resurrected Christ, and and then what happened, because of his testimony of a resurrected Jesus Christ and the salvation that comes from that, he was crucified upside down by Rome. Then we get to the twelve. Jesus also appeared to the twelve. And so for preaching the resurrected Christ, what happened to them? Andrew was crucified in Greece. Thomas was killed by soldiers in India. Philip, he converted a Roman official's wife, and what happened? He was tortured to death in North Africa. Matthew was stabbed to death in Ethiopia. James, according to the famous uh, historian Josephus, was clubbed and stoned to death. Simon the Zealot uh, was killed in Persia after refusing to sacrifice to the sun god. Why? He had a god already. Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Matthias was burned to death in Syria. Now John, the Apostle John, lucky guy, he died of old age, but uh, not until after he had been boiled in oil. NBD, no big deal. Um, what a terrible, terrible situation that would have been. Then it mentions here in, in verse 6, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time. This large group of disciples who had mourned the loss of Jesus got to see him physically after he came back from the dead. Uh, 
Paul specifically mentions in verse 7, James, the brother of Jesus. I find this to be a very convincing witness. You see, James was the younger brother of Jesus, and if your older brother claimed to be God, what would you do? You'd think he was insane, which is what James thought throughout the life of his brother Jesus. He rejected the fact that, that Jesus could be God in the flesh. And yet what happened? Jesus died on the cross. He rose again. He met with his brother James. And after that, that moment, after that event, what happened? James became an elder in the Christian church in Jerusalem. In the end of his life, the Pharisees, so angered by his testimony, threw him from the pinnacle of the temple. And when he survived that, they stoned him to death after the fact. Then last but not least, in verse 8, Paul speaks of himself. Last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Paul himself saw and met the resurrected Lord on the road to Damascus. He was a man who was killing the church. He was persecuting the church of God. He was a, a, a zealous Jew, passionate about the, 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 eradicating the Christian church. And what happened? He met Jesus, and he became not just a Christian, he became a missionary to Gentiles. Now, despite this evidence, despite these things, see, Paul is talking about, listen, I already told you about these things. He's already reminded them about these, reminding them about something he's already told them. And so, despite the evidence that they already had, what is the tendency of the Corinthians? What is the tendency of our world to disbelieve? To disbelieve. And that's Paul's point in the passage that I read already this morning, verses 14 through 19. He wants you to understand if indeed there was no resurrection, there are serious ramifications to that. Let me run through that real quick. First of all, verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. The sharing of this good news, we talked about Jesus being God and then coming to earth and then dying for our sins, then being buried and rose again, that story has absolutely no meaning. My job right now is completely meaningless. It's empty because there is no good news. There is no good news. We are uh, still stuck in the predicament we had before. We'll get to that in a moment. Now, that brings me to why did I labor over all the faiths of the apostles and those who knew Jesus? Because if Christ was not raised, think about this. Think about this. These men who are listed here, who have uh, historical records of their lives in place, we, we know that, that this is what happened to them. If, if Christ was not raised, to put it politely, they're not the sharpest tools in the shed. They poured their lives out for nothing. They, they gave their life for a story that was untrue. And what did they gain? No money, no reputation. They gained nothing but loss. They gave their lives passionately for something that didn't happen. And they know it didn't happen if Christ was not raised. It's not only our preaching that's in vain, your faith is in vain. Just so you know, that's what he says here. Your faith, if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, your faith is in vain. Christians, what do we believe? That that resurrection, the power of the resurrection is ours. We are saved by the fact that Jesus came and did the work for us and then defeated death and sin and, and Satan for eternity through the resurrection. If that did not take place, we believe in nothing. And I want to take a, a moment this morning to say, if you are a Christian, you call yourself a Christian and you do not believe in the resurrection of Christ, that is, one of the, um, uh, that is one of the most nonsensical positions you can take up. There are many other moral teachings. There's many other religious ideas that could 
make your life happier, easier. But if, if the resurrection of Christ is true, that's what gives it meaning. And so to reject the resurrection is to have a worthless faith. He goes on in verse 15 and he says, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true the dead are not raised. What he's saying is that the Bible from beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation, is not, it lies about God. It's not true. Uh, it's not what he is about. You see, the, the Bible, as we talked about last week briefly, what's the Bible about? Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is about God saving his people through Jesus Christ. How? Through the death and resurrection of Jesus. So, if, if the resurrection didn't happen, then that's not what the Bible's about. And that, if that's not what the Bible is about, then we have a whole book here that is a complete lie about who God is. We can't know who he is. If Jesus is not risen, then th and that's not God's purpose. And if that's not God's purpose, then we don't know God at all. We don't know. We can't know him. Because that's what we've been given through the scriptures. God saves his people through Jesus. And if he hasn't done that, we don't know what his purpose is. Paul saves the worst for last in verse 17. If, if Christ has not, not been raised, your faith is futile. So again, your faith is in vain, and you are still in your sins. Let's, let's play along with this idea. If the resurrection isn't true, then we, God's purposes are fuzzy at best. But we know something else. The Bible is not just about God and his law and his goodness and what he has done for us. It's also about humans and how sinful and broken we are. We already talked about that. We are sinners. We violate his law. And the Bible is clear about that. And what Paul is getting at is this. Humankind is capable, every single one of us, of the most miserable thoughts, feelings, and actions. The world and the word testify to this. So yes, the Bible says it, but look at our world. I want to use an example. At the first wind of the coronavirus pandemic coming to America, what happened? People went out and bought all the toilet paper. They bought all the toilet paper. All of it. There was none for others. They hoarded toilet paper. If that's not proof that we look after ourselves, that we are selfish in our nature, I don't know what is. Certainly it's nice to think that we are generally nice, that we like to do things for other people and if we are left to our own devices as humans, we are generally good. That the world and the word speak differently. And what Paul is saying is this. If God is still just, and we are still in our sin, there is no solution to that predicament. No one steps in our way to take that punishment. No one comes and gives us mercy and grace. No one has come to help us. We are on our own. And because we're on our own, we have no options. We cannot save ourselves. We're incapable. And verse 18 is an outpouring of that. He says, then, also, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, who have died, have perished. This word perished is not fun. It's destruction in hell. So think about this. What's the result of the fact that we have this sin burden on our shoulders and we cannot escape it without the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you and I, I get what I deserve. I'm a sinful person to this day. If there is no resurrection, I get what I deserve. That is hell for eternity. You get what you deserve if there is no resurrection. Your grandma, your, your, your dentist, 
uh, the person who works at the grocery store, policeman, fireman, whoever. We all get what we deserve, and what we deserve is the punishment for our sin. That's, that's the, the ramifications of the resurrection not occurring. So what's the bottom line here? We get to verse 19. He says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If Christ has not been raised, Paul's saying, sure, let's just follow the logic. You lose eternal hope. So if there is no resurrection, great. You don't get resurrection. That's not possible. So the life you live is the life you have. And so what he's saying is, okay, we might think, uh, then we have hope for this life. It leaves hope for today, maybe. But what he's really saying is that if Christ is only good for today, what? We of all, most, of all people most are most to be pitied. If Christ is only good for today, then Christ is not good for anyone ever. <laughs> if there is no eternal hope, then what? There is no hope at all. There's only pity. There's only pity. And so the truth I want you to pull from this passage with me is this, is that Christianity, church, understand our, our faith is not simply a crutch for today. Those who are listening in that maybe don't know much about Christianity. Listen, Christianity is not simply a self-help ideology. Christianity is not simply a crutch for today. It is eternal hope forever. It is eternal hope forever, or it is nothing. You see, without the resurrection of Christ, listen to this, this is our world. Without the resurrection of Christ, viruses become our gods. They control everything we do. They decide whether we live or die. Without the resurrection of Christ, hardship becomes our master. Loss becomes our Lord. Our life is nothing but pity. We're victims of our circumstances. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is nothing good in this world that we can actually enjoy. It's all doomed to, it is all doomed with us to perish. Remember what that means. At this point in the sermon, I'd like to say, Happy Easter, by the way. <laughs> Listen, it seems doom and gloom, because it is. If there is no resurrection, there is no hope. The empty void of hopelessness described in verses 12 through 19, however, is not the end, the evidence that is here in verses 1 through 8 would, would lead us to. Look at verse 20. This is where... We can feel dark and gloomy and sad and hopeless at 19, but look at the beginning of verse 20. But in fact, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. In fact, that's what happened. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Christ's resurrection isn't a fantasy. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a crutch. It's not a self-help. It is a historical event that changes absolutely everything. Jesus was a historical figure. He knew people. He talked with people. He taught things. He then was killed by the Romans at the request of the Jewish religious leaders and the, the mob behind them. And then what happened? It is a historical fact. He came back from the dead. And it changed everything. So in this time of mourning, 
that we are experiencing. It is a weird time. It's a strange time. It's a lonely time. It's a hurtful time. There is no hope other than the eternal one given to us by Jesus Christ, by his death and resurrection. It's proven and established by the historical event of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. You see, his resurrection establishes our resurrection. His conquering of death becomes our eternal life. His facing of God's wrath, what does it do? It becomes our facing of God the Father in love. His payment on the cross is our forgiveness of sins. His deserved inheritance becomes our graciously and mercifully given inheritance. His death and His resurrection become, and they are, our only hope for salvation. So Christians... Why live with hope in this life only? If that's how we operate, if we operate as if there is no eternity with God, if we operate as if that doesn't change anything now, we of all people are what? Most to be pitied. We should be pitied. That's a pitiful way to live. And so what is the answer for us, especially on this day, Easter? It's a time for us to dive into this hope, especially today. Again, it's Easter especially today, celebrate heartily what Christ has already done for you. What He has given you for eternity. And so in joy, what can we do? We can worship God for the plan that He set in time, set in place before time began, that He accomplished through Jesus Christ. Praise His name. Praise His name. No matter what befalls us in this life, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Changes everything. It changes everything. For those of you, maybe um, you've not given your lives to Christ. Maybe it's been a long time you went to church as a kid. Maybe um, any number of reasons. But you would say that you, no, I, I don't. I've not believed in the resurrection. I don't have hope in that. I want to say to you this morning that listen, there's there's no reason for you to continue any longer in an empty hope of this life only. This life has nothing good to offer us that can give us eternal hope. If you don't have Jesus, if you don't have the resurrection of Jesus, this virus that is traveling around is your God. It controls you. It rules you. The loss that we all, that we all suffer in this life is your Master and it's your Lord. But it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. You can come to Jesus Christ in faith. Believe in this historical event, this resurrection that happened. Believe that it can save you from your sins. Believe that He stepped in front of you to take your punishment. Believe that His resurrection is your resurrection. That His punishment is your forgiveness. Believe it. Simply believe this morning and you will be saved. Let me pray. Lord, I pray for Christians today that we would celebrate heartily this would not just be a fact or a story or another Easter gone by that we eat lots of ham and, and whatever else, but Lord, that we would certainly today feel the gravity of the reality, the historical fact of your resurrection, that we'd let it change us today, that it would tap into our emotions. We would truly have joy and celebrate the fact that our sin does not count against us anymore. In fact, your righteousness counts for us. We are looked at upon uh, by God, as if we are Jesus Christ. Why? We simply believe. 
May our faith be deepened today. I pray for those who are, by your sovereignty, listening, that may not believe these things right now. I pray that you would uh, not make it about me and my words or anything other than the fact that you are calling them by name. May they hear that call. May they feel conviction of the fact that they are sinners. They cannot save themselves, but let them know of the hope and the truth that Jesus is there calling them. They simply have to believe. They have to stop relying on themselves and rely on the work of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, who loves them dearly. Lord, thank you for Easter. Thank you for being risen. We pray these things in the name of the one who had a a broken body and shed blood, but only for a short time. He rose up in victory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, church, normally at this time, uh, we'd be celebrating the Lord's Supper together. And um, obviously, uh, uh, that weekly event that I love so dearly, I love it, I miss it. We can't do that virtually. Um, But instead of just leaving this time empty, uh, a pastor friend of mine sent me uh, a, a lament, a prayer of lament, a, a longing for the Lord's Supper. And I'd like to just take a few seconds, few, maybe less than a minute, and just read this prayer and pray it with you. So please, um, once again, I know I just finished praying. Uh, bow your heads, close your eyes, listen carefully as I read this prayer to God on our behalf uh, uh, slowly so you can hear the words. Please bow your heads and pray with me. Lord Jesus, our hearts brim with longing today. We long for one another, for the day when we might gather again as your body around your table of grace. We long for your table spread out for us in this wilderness where we feast upon the abundance of your house and drink from the river of your delights. We long for you, for your presence that is ours in the supper. It is your body broken and your blood poured out that alone can strengthen our hearts and satisfy our thirst. But until the day of our joyous reunion, teach us to lament this absence in our lives. Teach us to long for you, for your church, for your kingdom, and for the mountain of God where we will partake with you in a banquet of rich foods prepared for all peoples. We pray this in the name of him who is the bread of heaven and the cup of salvation, Jesus. Amen.